0: Out of really one of the darkest seasons I'd ever been in a ministry and had a friend of mine say, uh, you have the smell of death on you. And, and my wife's response is, yeah, I smelled like that for a while.
1: <laughs> Welcome to Hope Renewed, helping you find new hope when ministry leaves you hopeless. The Hope Renewed podcast is brought to you by BIR Ministries. Here are your hosts. Tom Jameson and Sean Nimichek.
2: Kim and Rob Hoke, welcome to Hope Renew. Yeah, thanks.
3: Happy to be here.
2: Yeah, welcome, guys.
3: All right, so we want to jump into this conversation and just ask you first to start by introducing yourself a little bit to our listeners and tell us a little bit about your ministry
0: journey. So, uh, Rob Hoke. Um, uh, born and raised Midwest, spent my um, childhood split between St. Louis area and Dallas, Texas, land of milk and honey. Um, was the son of the son of a farmer, um, and um, spent years in Texas. Ended up coming to Christ during college. And went to AM, Texas A and M, um, and then uh, started ministry in Houston. Um, and that's where Kimmy and I. Uh and that wasn't the first time we met. We actually met at AM, but our friend groups sort of overlapped, and so we just knew of one another. Um, got married, ended up um stepping into Gordon Comwell, um, and then have been in pastoral ministry um ever since. So married, we have four uh children. The oldest is 24, the youngest is 17, almost 18. The middle two are at um 21 and 20. And so we've got one graduated and married. So we have an in-law, we've got a dog, um, uh, you know, pool in the backyard and a fence. So, um, it yeah. sounds like the Midwest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And my, and my call admit, like my, uh, in some ways, my stepping into ministry is very normal in other ways. Um, abnormal, it's normal in that, um, you know, coming out of college, uh, uh, just began to felt the sense that the Lord was calling me to ministry. And, uh, in Texas at that point, if you were a a young man who loved Jesus, everybody wanted to go to seminary and ministry. And so the counsel Mm -hmm. was don't go into seminary, don't go to seminary and ministry. And if the Lord wants you there, that's where he'll put you. And I worked really hard not to go into ministry. And Mm -hmm. the Lord was really determined to put me in ministry. So, and my journey was, you know, I was a youth director for a couple of years and went to seminary and came out of that and served the church as an associate in the D.C. area. Um, got to experience 9-11 in D.C. We had, mm-hmm. uh, if you remember, the sniper that was our neighborhood mm-hmm. um, uh, and had a couple other fairly significant traumas in the community. Um, ended up serving a small church as a solo pastor in central Washington, halfway between Spokane and Seattle. Um it's a closed community of about seven to 10,000, and then ended up coming here. There are just people looked, there. There are, <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. yeah, the mule died, honey. <laughs> We're home. <laughs> um, and then we um, have been here at south side of Indy for about uh, 10 years. And I say, mm-hmm. so, so in some ways, it's very normal. Uh, other ways, it's abnormal. And then I came to Christ as an adult. And so I, I really show up at, um, primarily through the lens of an outsider. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I didn't grow up in the church. Uh, some relationship to Roman Catholic context. Um, I, I um most of that were, did not feel good as a child. I've come to appreciate it a little more as I've grown older. Um, uh, and so um, in, in many ways, it's an abnormal in that uh, I I don't have deep heritage. Uh, my family does not historically know Jesus some of them have come to know Jesus since but mm-hmm. so yeah all right honey
4: yeah um, I'm Kim uh, married to Rob same four kids same in-law <laughs> same dog <laughs> um,
2: I like how you put the I, in-law on uh, the dog right next to each other well. <laughs> he'll,
4: he'll appreciate that too um, <laughs> yeah I uh, came to faith in high school I, I did not uh, grow up as a church background at all either. And um, in fact, really um, probably, I would say in a sense, godless, like there was no connection in, in my home. Um, but through, through Young Life, actually in high school, I came to faith and my journey in ministry was, um, it started with Young Life and all through college, I worked at a young life camp every summer, um, backpacking, uh, guiding mm. backpacking trips through the mountains in Colorado, which mm. was super fun. And of course, my in my mind, that that was ministry, and that's what my life was going to look like. Um, <laughs> I think we've been backpacking once.
3: <laughs> um, <laughs>
4: I thought for sure the husband I was going to marry was going to own a camp and camp ministry was going to be the way for me. And um, we ended up in minist- in, uh, at Gordon-Conwell. In fact, both of us got accepted and were planning on attending Gordon-Conwell. And on the drive there um, in a big U-Haul, we decided that I would um, I would continue my teaching career and he would attend school and so um although i did attend along the way i think because i Mm -hmm. listened to lots of papers Mm -hmm. and (laughs) um that's where my theological training is is rob's papers Uh, (laughs) yeah then really family became my ministry and um i never quite felt called to pastoral ministry in fact um I remember where we were sitting and and the conversation in our little blue Subaru uh when Rob told me that he was he felt he sent a calling into pastoral ministry and I thought I don't <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> And that's I I think that I've, I've along the way you know three churches lots of different ministries lots of ways that I Have been involved and I and my family has been involved involved I think um all that time I was um honing in on my skills of a people reader and so what's interesting is that my story lends a little bit to really falling right into some uh, misconceptions of pastoral ministry in fact that was taught in my home uh, a lot of focus was on appearance And Mm -hmm. not seeing what was going on behind closed doors. And so entering in as the wife of a pastor, um, even though I didn't know the ins and outs of a church, there was, um, there's the beast of appearance and the beast of secrecy. Mm -hmm. And um, so that I just kind of was able to feed the beast a little bit. Um, But that's, that's what I knew. So that's kind of how I ended up um, showing up in that role. But through the years too, also knowing that my skills of reading people and listening to people was really what all my time was preparing for.
2: That's such a, a important point that you bring up that, you know, we often talk about pastors having misconception about ministry, you know, when they're, they're answering the call. Uh, but a pastor's spouse, a pastor's family also has to deal with the those same kind of, uh, conceptions or, or understandings, and and there is that sense that it's not just the pastor that's being called to ministry; it's it's the whole family. If, if it's a family or a couple, uh, the the couple itself. So both of you are engaged in active ministry, and, and we're going to dive into that and, and learn more about what the the specific uh, ministry roles uh, that you're filling look like. But just in general. Now that we've kind of cast this pall over ministry, <laughs> what do you love about ministry? What is it that that just really kind of makes your heart sing when when you you consider the opportunities and the the giftedness and and uh, uh, directions that God has called you to?
4: Um, I would call myself a lover of people, mm-hmm. and I've always been a lover of people, and I've always been an adventurer. So what I've loved about ministry is um, walking alongside people in their stories and in their adventures. Um, And part of, so when I say I love people, I just, I am always blown away by people and their creativity and their wit and the way they look at things and the way they say things. I often find myself, my kids show me, send me TikTok all the time and I'm just in awe all the time, like how do people think of these things? <laughs> and so, um, I'm I think I'm constantly in awe of others. So, to me, um, ministry is seeing people and experiencing life with them, mm-hmm. and I love letting them know that they're not alone. So, um, with being a lover of people and an adventurer, I feel like I'm always on a journey with them. And I thought of when I was thinking about this question, I thought of, um, I don't know if you guys have read Hindspeed and High Places. Um, it's an old allegory of faith and the character's name is much afraid. Mm. And, um, as she goes on her journey, she has two companions with her all the time and their sorrow and suffering. Mm. Um, and she doesn't necessarily like her, her companions, <laughs> sorrow and suffering. She doesn't <laughs> understand their presence until the end. Um. And I don't see myself necessarily as sorrow or as suffering per se, but I do see myself as a companion along the way, a companion that's yeah. present for the journey and always enabled to be there to always remember the stories mm-hmm. of the past and um, remember the future of, of, of propelling and moving forward. And so I love that part of ministry.
0: And for the record, Kimmy has never called me either sorrow or suffering. So <laughs> while we may be companions. We'd well, <laughs> have to censor what
2: she would call you, right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, and I love that about yeah. Kimmy. Kimmy uh, one of the things that's really fun about Kimmy, she's just so curious um, uh, about folks. And she just has this ability to see people really well, which is mm-hmm. fun. And then she uh, just asks questions and lets folks just um, be discovered And helps folks discover themselves. So what what I love about ministry is um, I love seeing folks uh, walk through the process of transformation. Um, And I love folks coming to a greater understanding of their um, image bearing, what it looks like to flourish and thrive and to lean into wholeness that God has spoken this great picture over us about who we're designed to be. And ministry for me is, it's an opportunity to invite folks into exploring that story. What does God have for them? How has he made them uh, both with this um, speaking and creation, but even in the sum total of all their experiences, right? Uh, so, so, you know, I say, I said earlier, my, my journey into ministry in some ways is normal. In other ways, it was. Abnormal. There's a part of me that I could argue I've been prepared for ministry since I was two years old, because hmm. the home I grew up and the role that I filled, um, uh, my job was to set aside my desires and to meet other people's needs. And I've got lots of stories to that, that would, um, from a childhood that would reveal how my parents have raised me to pay attention to others, set aside my desires, that others may. Um, uh, be cared for and could flourish right mm-hmm. so i've been prepared for this and so for ministry for me the thing that's really fun is to watch folks begin to discover who they are and to to find freedom to step into the fullness of of them so and mm-hmm. and you know so preaching i get to do that in preaching get to do, it in teaching, get to do that in pastoral counseling and i get to do that even in um uh, leading the team so it's a multi-staff uh, church I'm at and so leading the team and uh, e- even an organization uh, um, how do you des- how do you calendar together and how do you get right so all of that for me just sits under that category uh, of what does it look like for us to invest in the community uh, those in and those outside the community honestly. Uh, and then of course you know how do I invest in the staff right the team
3: So I'm guessing ministry hasn't all been, uh, you know, puppies and roses and wonderful (laughs) rainbows and, you know, all this stuff that that maybe seminarians think it's going to be like when we first uh, uh, step into that call. Um, In some of the darkest times of ministry, how did you two maintain hope in Christ?
0: Well, yeah, I mean, we've had some really dark days. Um, uh, Some of that is... um, the, the days got darker uh, some of that's uh the context we're in some of that is um just work we hadn't done again the son of the son of a farmer and so forth, you just work harder and um and so that just actually further drove me into uh places of despair um you know so i'd say you know there were lots of dark days where i i don't know that i had much hope in christ and in God's grace, I'm a son, the son of a farmer. And you just wake up the next day and you just go back at it, um, and, which is not a recommendation. <laughs> 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 but it was part of the reality. And I think so, like, um, I, I think the way I'd, I'd, that I I it, I would, there are ways I do it different. Um, and, and some of that is, um, uh, you know, I, I stepped into Soul Care Institute, to Sean, where you and I met. Mm-hmm. Um, out of really one of the darkest seasons I'd ever been in a ministry and had a friend of mine say, uh, you have the smell of death on you. Mm. And, and my wife's response is, yeah, I smelled like that for a while, <laughs> <laughs> which I was deeply offended. What do you mean? I smell like that? <laughs> um, and, um, uh, and, and so, so it's a combination of not doing good work, not caring for myself, not having good rhythms uh, were sacred and life-giving. Um, uh, and some of it as well was was um, uh, being driven into isolation mm-hmm. and feeling like I'm all alone. Mm-hmm. And I'm the first one to ever experience any of these things. Mm. <laughs> um, and and um, uh, to, only to discover that I'm not the first one to experience these things. Uh, and that these things, uh, when you're in community, can be held well. Um, and e- even when darkness and despair invite me to walk away from sacred rhythms, um, learning how to hang on to the shreds and tatters of it, um, with the hope that the next time there's more that you're hanging on to, there would be healthy rhythms in the midst of hardness.
4: I would say many of our dark times were, um, <laughs> didn't have to be so dark.
3: <laughs> uh,
4: yeah. Yeah.
3: Say more about that kim what do you mean they they didn't have to be so dark well i
4: think um again you know i i was in this perpetual cycle of um closing the door and appearing okay Mm -hmm. right and so um and that's all i knew and um so and when rob said you know being pushed more and more into isolation i think um the irony of that um so one of the men I've tra- trained under, Dan Allender, he says, um, we're meant for relationships. And we we all know that, right? We're meant and created for relationships. And yet we are harmed in relationships. And mm-hmm. the only way to heal is in relationships. Mm-hmm. But when we mm-hmm. get harmed in relationships, we think that what we need to do is get away from relationships and isolate more. And um, that's a that's a dangerous, dark place. And so when darkness or dark nights of the soul or the darkest times, as you said, they come and they do come and make sure we say they're plural. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's a bit like being in a, a really dark room and all the furniture has been moved and you're the, our, our tendency is to sit in the corner and stay and isolate and, um, eventually it'll get light or something, or I don't know, or we get up and we start bumping around, but we need someone. We need people to help us out. We're meant to navigate this life with others. And I think ministry tends to tell us differently somewhere along the Mm -hmm. way and um, that we're supposed to do it alone. And when the reality is that there's very few safe Spaces when you're in ministry or safe people yeah. to get help us out of those dark times. But we need the connection if we're going to continue, if we're going to stop that narrative of we mm. are alone and we're not going to make it. So I would say hope in the dark time now looks very different than hope in the dark time years ago um, and the places that we've been. And um, so now I'm in a rhythm of I, I have people and I know who those people are. And no matter how ridiculous or silly or burdensome or annoying. I feel, um, I reach out and I let those people know where I'm at and what I need. Um, because I know I can get stuck in my own story and my own narrative and remain there. Mm Um,
2: so the, the, the trick is being able to kind of interrupt that cycle uh, that we kind of naturally go to this cycle of isolating. And I, we just, um, we find it so much that that those involved in ministry, pastors, and ministry leaders, and counselors, um, just struggle with the very thing that you are talking about: remaining connected, having the good friends, the ones that that you can pour your soul. What, what's what have you found to be the key to that? How how do you create those connections and maintain those connections so you have them when when you are in those dark places?
4: Well, I thought I did have them. I don't think I did. So like it's, um, I thought, oh, yeah, I have friends. I have a friend I have friends. I can call long distance or I can, but I don't know that it's necessarily um, I think it goes against everything in me to make sure I am connected in a very deep way, consistently with people. Mm-hmm. Um, i I have learned I have to have a therapist, and mm-hmm. I have learned I have to have a group that I attend. Because that is where I'm safe, and that's where I get to show up, however I show up. And so yeah. when the things come, I have, I have people. Now there are people within my church that I'm good friends with. There are people that I can go to. So that's not unknown or unheard of. I um, I realize I need I need an army. <laughs> I don't need a few people. I need an army, <laughs> and I need an army. I need the people who are going to hold up my arms when the battle is on so that, that there's any hope for it to win. Um, and I also need the people fighting on my behalf. So mm-hmm. I need that army and I haven't always had that. And so mm-hmm. it's very deliberate, intentional building.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, because uh, ministry it, in some ways by its, by its nature is really complex, right? And Kimmy, you were talking so Kimmy um, spent some time. You can call me so, Kim, by the way. Oh, Kim. Sorry. <laughs> I know her is Kimmy, but in the professional world, her name is Kim. <laughs> so Just Kim, uh, Kim uh, uh, spent some time at a, a sort of Presbyterian at our at Presbytery, which is a regional collection of churches, if you're not sure what that is, um, that we connect together for mutual benefit and kingdom of God building, right? Uh, doing some uh, training on how churches can better care for uh, uh, pastor families, mm. spouses and their kids, right? It really should be it would be ministry families.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And one of the things that, um, that you were pulling out was just how isolating it is, right? Because as a ministry spouse, I don't have a pastor or a church. and um, and just the complexity about the church is our community, and yet it's not our community. Right. Mm, As mm. in ministry, um, I, I I don't I don't I'm not cut from the cloth that you can't have good friends inside the church. Um uh I, I but I am aware that it just creates tremendous complexity. Mm-hmm. Those relationships are, are just different. And so how
2: how have you navigated that, Rob?
0: Um well, mostly not well. <laughs> 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 um So honestly, uh, that's one way, right? um, Yeah. uh, um, I I tend to, to, I I probably could benefit from an army. I tend to not need an army. I think it's just my rhythm. Mm -hmm. Uh, I tend to have uh, a couple of really close folks who who, uh, know me and have access and freedom to speak um, uh, into life. And yeah. almost all of those are actually pastors. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and um, uh, we have um, a couple
4: in our church now. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. And there, and, and there's a couple of those who are in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I just think when um, they, uh, they, they just creates a little, some sensitivities when, um, when it's a, a place around any complexity in ministry, mm-hmm. right. Which mm-hmm. Uh, so rarely has happened. Um, and, um, so there's, there's certain things that I probably couldn't bring to them that would be relational in nature in the church, just because, um, it's just not fair to ask them to carry that.
2: Right.
0: Uh, but I've got other folks I can bring that, that to, Um, and what they may just simply know is there's some, com- there's some difficulty right now in relationships in the church or decision making mm-hmm. or whatever. Right. Um, but I, but I do think it, it I think Kimmy's right in that um, uh, we aren't designed to do the life alone. I mean, I think about Genesis, God speaks creation of the being, right? And it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, creates Adam. And he says it's not good. Hmm. And so then Eve gets created. And, and at least part of the implication from that is that there was something more that Adam needed than simply the presence of God. God was there, Adam and God, right? And yet, God knew that Adam needed a helpmate. Okay, Um, which now I feel compelled to geek out and that word is most often used for God. It's not a, uh, you know, (laughs) I'll just move on. (laughs) Um, You know, create create a a spouse, right? To be in relationship with one another, and so we're not designed to be alone. Uh, and at times in ministry, we, we can, uh, give up relationships outside of the church mm. or even inside the church. And, um, and some of this, you know, Kimmy and her, the story work that she's been, that she's done and that she leads, it actually invites really deep, um, life-giving uh, relationships because it requires, uh, honesty and, and invites, um, and invite folks to hold honesty.
3: So you, you, you brought up, um, attending soul care. It was one of my delights to get to meet both of you. Uh, we were in yeah. the same cohort together and we all brought our own baggage, uh, to soul care. Uh, mm. uh and we've had uh, Jim and Kayleen Dirksen on the podcast. So out of your experience at soul care, uh, how did that impact you? What What did you notice uh, change from learning to care for your soul?
0: Yeah. Like I think, uh, so I'm the one that came with the smell of death. Um, And, um, you know, I should probably apologize. I should probably write a letter to everyone in that
1: cohort. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so sorry how I showed up.
2: Are you kidding? You
3: made
1: Uh, everybody feel so good about themselves.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I don't think you're the only one. Yeah, there's nothing worse than I know of yeah. Like when I think about soul care, the thing that was really impactful for me, um, the content was good. Right. Um, and I resonated with a number of the folks that came in uh, and a number of the books, like um, the Brenna Manning um, stuff was, was just so good to me um, or good for me. And the time with Chuck DeGroote was fantastic, but uh, you know, he's from my tribe. And so he uses the language that I would use. And so it felt very familiar and Translated really well, but I think the biggest thing for me, uh, was the, um, expectation of, of the sacred rhythms. Um, I I think that was the thing that was the, that, um, brought life back. And it's the thing that, um, brings life is the slow work of God across time being patient and learning to be okay with where the Lord has you, even if you want to be someplace else and that he's got you where he's got you. And so the question is, how do you show up? And how do you begin to notice and ask the question, Lord, what are you, what are you doing? What are you doing? Cause I, I, I'm not sure. Um, and, and um, so that was probably the thing that was most significant for me. Relationships great. Um, but I came and uh, so, um, gosh, what's even the word? I Man, I was so empty, uh, and so um, yeah, it was real life giving to me.
4: I would say um, I'd already begun a lot of soul work before soul care, and so for um, starting that two-year time, so soul care actually ended up being like very confirming to me of what I was already in, and it kind of enhanced there was no buy-in of why be there or mm. what was happening. Like I already had the buy-in because I was already um, not in the same way, but I was already in these rhythms of soul adjustment <laughs> and care. And um, I think the impact it had, the biggest impact I would say is on our marriage. Mm. Um, if there If there were videos of us coming on the first week, and then over two years to the last week, you would have seen a big, de- I mean, like, I don't know that Rob and I could even stand being I, in the same room. I, I don't know what you're talking to- about.
0: I don't have any idea. You have always been the, still in line. denial. Yeah. So, I,
4: was, so there was a lot of incongruence before we went because I was already doing a lot of work towards my health and goodness. And, um, And that was causing disruption in our marriage. That was causing an incongruence. And so um, the impact was that then we were both kind of speaking some of the same language. Then we were both kind of starting to look at how to tend to our soul differently. And then so that became more congruent.
0: And that's one of the realities, of course, we either know like sometimes under the terms, but we also know the experience of family system. Right. Mm-hmm. And when, when Kimmy had begun doing work, she then was showing up differently in relationships. And the, so the rules were changing, but I knew how, I was still trying to live on the old rules. Here's how we resolve conflict. Here's how we make decisions. Here's how we speak to one another. And when I give you this look, it means it's time for you to be quiet <laughs> not keep talking, and when you give me this look, I know what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to leave the room, <laughs> right? I mean, it, like we have these rules, uh, but as um, as Kimmy began to to pursue health and began to navigate through her story, um, that created disruption because she would show up different. And it's one of the things I think to grab a hold of is is that that will happen in relationships is. Whether it's spouse or friends, that is, one begins to grow healthy, um, that naturally has an impact on relationships, that will be disruptive, mm-hmm. and that disruption's good and life-giving, except it won't always feel good and life-giving. And, and so, um, yeah, those first days, I wasn't in good places, and. And, and there was wobble in our relationship.
2: It, it, has your experience been that you've seen that in in ministry marriages in in those relationships, that incongruence uh, and and kind of at the heart of that question is is, gosh, is it ministry that causes that
0: incongruence?
4: I see it all over the place.
0: yeah, yeah I would agree. I mean it um i I don't think ministry attracts the incongruence. <laughs> um I, I think it just exists i think it's um the world we live in invites us to to join relationships like that to be incongruent
3: i think in some ways it exposes it exposes yeah. our incongruence in many ways that that mm-hmm. other relationships won't experience
0: yeah yeah there's and there's a pressure uh intensity about relationships and ministry when you're uh in vocational ministry that um, and there's a um, there's a public nature to relationships, um, so it's more difficult to hide.
4: The uniqueness of ministry and relation and those marriage relationships or any relationships is is what Rob just said. There's there's almost a demand to hide,
2: mm.
4: and and there's got to be a fight against that. Mm.
2: Right. Right. Well, you've already mentioned the beast of appearance, the beast of secrecy, and and how. Those in ministry and, and other professions uh, just gets heightened uh, through, you know, false expectations or false perceptions of who we're supposed to be when we're in the ministry. You know, we're supposed to be perfect or we're supposed to know everything or uh, we're not supposed to have any flaws. And, and the more that gets squelched and pushed down, the greater pressure it creates in, in, uh, in relationships, as we say, since we're made for relationships.
0: And so, what's it look like to 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 invite a uh, community of faith, a church, to be able to engage um, in healthier relationships with mm-hmm. um, their ministry staff, and uh, which has been a lot of what Kimmy and I have been Kim and I have been thinking across years, and begin to invite the church we're serving, Southport Pres, and uh, into healthier rhythms, and it's been disruptive.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. That, that whole ministry is messy <laughs> kind of thing. And, and Kim, you you have a, a specific focus in your ministry, in your counseling ministry. Tell us a little bit about that. And uh, particularly, what, what do the words curious and be brave and be free mean to you?
4: Yeah, I love that you guys brought those in. Um, so let me just say, I'm going to be a little expansive in the fact that um I think counseling is just one of the tools I ha- I carry and my mm-hmm. tool belt has definitely become more of my profession at this point. Um, and so I do have a counseling business in which I see clients. I see clients individually. I see clients in groups. Um, I also hold intensive weekends. Um, but what I would say is, when I started therapy for myself years ago, I experienced care in a way that was unlike anything I'd ever experienced. And um, there was a rhythm. I I was in a family in which my role in the family was to make sure everyone remained happy. Mm
3: -hmm.
4: And I was able to do that with my gregarious personality, with my, um, my adventurous spirit, my, uh, humor, the, my playfulness and so in that um, that was a place of me constantly having to give myself away I had little care for me so when I was experiencing in therapy something um, of this care it was something I couldn't get enough of Like, and um, then I felt like I couldn't keep it for myself and so mm-hmm. I decided to go ahead and get my master's in mental health counseling and pursue a license. And alongside that, um, I began to discover my story and become really curious about my story. Um, And I had to have an immense amount of courage. So I think that the words be curious, be brave and be free. um, There is no freedom without curiosity and bravery. And Mm -hmm. to me, the opposite of curiosity is judgment. And mm-hmm. I lived decades under judgment of others, and more mm-hmm. importantly, under the judgment of myself. So stepping into my story with curiosity meant stepping out of my own bondage of judgment. Um, so it was counseling. And what I do is, um, it's unique, because alongside getting my degree, I was also at the same time being trained at a place called the Allender Center. And so I became uh, specifically trained to do uh, a work, a trauma-focused modality of therapy, and I feel like, kind of like Rob said, he's been training in training of of being a pastor since he was two, and I've been in the training of being a therapist and doing story work with people since I was probably two or or before, because I learned how to read people really well. I had to learn how to read in order to make them happy in order to Mm. respond and do the job I was supposed to be doing in this family, whether it was a good job or not, it was Mm. the role that I played in my family system. And so I became quite vigilant and aware of everyone around me and what was going on with them and how I could respond to them. And so that's how, that's what I say when I'm, I, Counseling—it's—it's it's a little piece of what I do. I feel like it's been what I've been doing for a long time. It just hasn't always looked like it does now, where I can sit face to face with people or with groups of people, and and hear their stories.
2: Who who do you tend to serve?
4: Um, lots. <laughs> I tend <laughs> I tend to serve. Um, what's curious is I'm really opening open to serving most anyone, and who is drawn to the work that I do is. Um, usually women, uh, women who have been through something, some sort of crisis, um, or who have tried lots of things or feel really stuck in what they're in and can't get out. Um, I, I serve a lot of people with sexual trauma and that's a, I think a unique calling. I think, um, I, I stand in a really specific place that I straddle, the church world and the non-church world. And I think I'm safe for both. Um, and so it's interesting to see, I, I, do see a lot of people who have church background, but I also see a lot of people who don't have any church background.
0: Mm. So. Yeah. And, and Kemp sits in this place where she, she's an, I mean, she's, she's remarkable. She is really good. Um, and, um, just fantastic as a therapist. Um, uh i'm not and... his therapist by the way no 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 but no. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was a day and... <laughs>
1: um
0: she's really good and she's got really good theology which um i i don't like in so 27 years of pastoral ministry i have not found a lot of folks that are really good therapists that do have really good theology it's really difficult to find someone that has both of those skill sets and and, he, and um and Kim is able to Kim's able to really sit in both those worlds and hold those well and and really has a desire to see folks, at least one of the things you've said in the past is desire to see folks who are in churches and even have experienced harm in in churches um, receive care and um, and restoration out of that. Is that fair to say that?
4: Yeah, I, I think I'm definitely drawn to those who have been hurt within the church
3: speaking of that um it's 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 kind of been my observation in working with pastors and their families that a lot of pastors and and ministry families experience trauma uh some of that comes from the ministry itself some of it's being exposed to the trauma of others sometimes we bring that with us into ministry and and it can actually be the reason why we go into ministry but uh why is it important for pastors and their spouses to to engage with a trauma counselor uh, if they've faced those things?
0: Yeah. So let me take a crack at it. And um...
4: and then I'll sleep it up. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. 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 That's right. Um, we all step into, it doesn't matter if you're in vocational ministry or not. We have these, these experiences. And I tend to use the word harm because I think folks hear trauma and they go all like, technical and like, you know, what does that mean exactly? And so I just, I, I tend to use the word harm. And we had these stories from our, our childhood where we were harmed. And what happens is we, we re-experience those kinds of harm moments later on. And so, um, and so I told the story, you know, I, I, I learned at a very young age, I, I two experiences I can tell you very specifically where I had a precious item, but as a child, you know, this was a, something I loved, right? And and, I, and um, one out of just playing with it and the other out of a, a moment of frustration, I, I I broke the item. And, and uh, my dad was actually there uh, when I broke him and, and my dad cursed me. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, he didn't say, I curse you, Rob. But he named uh, me as dangerous. And so when i went when I went into ministry, i I, I went to ministry with the understanding that I was dangerous to people, and I was going to harm them. And so I couldn't be me. I had to hide me mm-hmm. and suppress my unique calling and my unique design so that I could ensure I would never harm anyone. So then you preach a sermon and somebody doesn't like the sermon because they don't like the sermon and and then i'm thrown off into you know great darkness because i brought them harm or i counseled them and they don't like the way the counseling goes and so then it you know my the impact of that is just traumatic right okay little t traumatic maybe big T traumatic right um and and so we we these harm stories is a, a, when we're children show up over and over and over again. And it keeps us from rising into being all that God had designed us to be. Um, so, you know, as we address those, like, they don't, does it go away? I mean, I, um, and yet I'm aware that it's not true. I, mm-hmm. I'm not harmful, right? The gospel's offensive. Let's be honest, right? Because what the gospel says, I'm no better than, and you can kind of fill in the blank for whoever it is that you think is the worst person in the world, right? Uh, why no one the gutter if that's the person, the guy on the street corner asking for help, like an addict, like I don't, whatever, I'm no better than, and, and the gospel says it's true about me. And the gospel also says God's grace is big enough,
2: hmm.
0: right? Um, to, to cover that, to, to deal with that brokenness. And I don't want to add offense to the gospel. It's already offensive. And so understanding um, my story and understanding my harm helps me have a better ability to lean into uh, the gospel, right? To live it, Mm -hmm. to speak about it, uh, to introduce others to it and not hesitate, right? Because I could hesitate. I I don't want to say this because it will offend them. And then therefore that would be really bad. The problem is the gospel sometimes is offensive. And, and so it would keep me from actually rising into the full gifting. All right, baby, sweep it up.
4: Yeah, you know, well, let's just first say I think everybody should be in, in therapy and trauma therapy, not just pastors and spouses. But um I think for sure, uh yes, to what Rob said and I agree with you, uh, Sean, that we do um We experience harm all the time. We experience trauma all the time, Um, not all the time, but enough. And one thing I've been taught is trauma begets trauma. Um, Any current crises or trauma you're in is going to expose and reveal any past trauma or crises that we've had. And so many people don't think they have had trauma or have spent much of their time comparing how bad bad others' trauma is, in comparison to theirs so clearly you know i don't mine's not trauma and so we dismiss our own trauma and that locks it away it locks this inside of us and our begin our bodies begin to hold it and um, then something happens in our life uh, that we can't control which will right and we have no capacity to hold it there's no space to hold it and it's just going to expose everything beneath it that got locked inside and all over everything so um so i believe um pastors and or ministry families for sure are experiencing trauma not only are they experiencing theirs but many other people's and they're holding all of it and that's a level of stress that um is just naturally going to expose whether or not you've dealt with your story (laughs) Mm -hmm. and because anytime we're under stress so our our trauma stories, our stories of childhood um, shape our fears and our passions. And then those fears and passions then shape who we become and how we show up in relationships and in the world. And so um, if those fears and I mean, there's no doubt about it, those things are there. And sometimes we think we've dealt with them. And oh, there it comes again. But anytime we're at a level of stress, it's going to expose all of that. And so for me, for ministry, it was a perpetuation of one. I, you know, I could read my violent father really well and I could read everyone else really well. I was hyper aware. I've already said that needed to keep everyone happy and so i was really good at taming those beasts and i was also taught really well how to deceive and not be a truth teller because as was in, in a home that silence and or gaslighting or things that were true were told to me that they weren't true and things that weren't true were told to me they were true so it's a, a constant disorientation right mm. um and ministry then put me in this place of perpetuating that narrative so when we would hit rock bottom or we had a crisis in our church or even within our nuclear family um because we have four kids so there's going to be crisis um i (laughs) my job was to tame the peace and keep it all secret and i'd be so disoriented and so any current trauma i would face began to expose patterns and rhythms that i'd learned for most of my life Hmm. um and i couldn't understand why i was still running in circles, just trying to make everyone happy and losing all of me in the process. Um, And there was no way for me to navigate and I'd get lost in those places. And so um, I think we need people to walk alongside us and help us see those things. And I think um, ministry leaders and spouses being in trauma therapy is important because we all have it. Mm -hmm.
2: Mm. and it, you know you're you're both talking about stories this is this is what you mean by story work right
4: yeah yeah,
2: uh, yeah. And say a little bit more about that because it's intriguing
4: yeah i could talk a long time about story work um <laughs> i have um uh, what rob and i will call the boring clinical answer of what story work and then i can kind of give you some <laughs> some more to it so i would say story work is the processing the process is a modality of therapy right um, it's a process of identifying and speaking our own stories of pain and harm in in safe places um, mm-hmm. for the purpose of repair and healing and restoration. Mm-hmm. So it's really telling stories of our childhood where mm-hmm. we've experienced harm and bring care and repair to those very deep old wounds. Mm-hmm. When we experience harm, um, we are often they're harmful because we were often not surrounded by care or response or words um, or soothing or anything in response to it. And so then we bring in, we buy into this false narrative and defense mechanisms to protect us from more harm. And story work is different in the sense it's different than other therapy, because I don't tell people how to think differently to change their patterns or how to behave differently, which will change their thinking. Like that's a lot of what talk therapy can tend to do. And there are thousands of modalities of therapy. And so many of them are brilliant. And I use many of them. I use a lot of different approaches in my work, but the driving force is definitely story work. And so um, Rob's told the story of how um, he had the narrative that he's dangerous and he breaks things. Um, and it was being, it's what he was named. And it was a story of, and he didn't say it, but it was a story of a red bike that he had when he was sick.
0: Oh, I love that. But point. it wasn't was yeah. until
4: <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't until he was in a, a group, a story group, yeah. and read it to the group and let others bear witness that he he didn't understand the message in the name that was given to him decades ago. And then yeah. that name and that naming then began to shape how he saw the world and direct how all the other new narratives were happening. That, that was, that began to be what shaped all of that. And so he actually had to have other people bear witness and care for that moment when he was harmed. And God. story work brings clarity and care where wounds need to be cared for and they heal. Um, but there was, there's no freedom and no healing without actually entering the pain of the wound. And mm. I told the story, um, of my home. I brought a lot of delight to situations, situation um, and having an unpredictable and violent father and knowing his violence my whole life, I, I didn't not know it. I did not not know that that was about, that that was my, the way my father was. I'd been to counseling and learned about the ways that I coped. It's not like I didn't know those. But then when I started telling the stories, writing them and reading them, um, about my home and how I brought delight, but I was able to understand the the, the full truths of what was going on. Cause I think as a child, I didn't have all the truths. but as right. adults look into the story, they see some truths that I, I'm unable to see. Yeah. I think yeah. Uh, Rob and I had went and had coffee this morning and I had, <laughs> I had a pumpkin scone with white chocolate and I could tell you guys all about how, that scone was and it was pretty spectacular and how it tasted yeah. and how crispy it was on the outside and, and I how I ate it with my coffee. But in unless you, and you might be able to experience some of that, but unless you actually were there and eating the scone as well, you don't have a full sense of what it was like. And so that's how I feel that's like good. story work is. I feel like I I try to put words around it and give language to it and tell people about it and it's so hard to explain. To understand unless you experience it. Um, I'm happy to come back and do a story with you, uh, <laughs> and, and then you could experience it, and that would be pretty awesome. So,
0: yeah, yeah. And, and to be clear, what she means is you, you, you would bring a story of harm, and she would read your story in front of everybody, mm-hmm. and Not it would be pet? glorious and fantastic. uh And like, I said, like I said, Kimmy's fantastic. And here's one thing that's fun. Is now that Kimmy and I both have discovered some of these so our roles in our home, there's always more discovery, right? As you, mm-hmm. as you refine it and grow um, in understanding and in health, right? Um, um, and uh, we know some of these places of, of, of our of our story. Uh, then it then our like our marriage has gotten richer. Because we can notice each other and how each other are responding and reacting. We can uh, have a better understanding of how something lands on one another, even like so. I'll tell you the experience, right? So um came in, I were teaching a Sunday school class, I think it was earlier this year, maybe February, March. And uh we had a guy in our congregation passed out. Now he does about four or five times a year. I, I don't I don't think he eats like breakfast in the middle though, of this, church, yeah. The oh, sorry, in the middle of worship. School. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not Sunday <laughs> school. During worship, he passes out, and, um, and and again, you know, it's four times a year this happens, and so I've gotten used to it. And I watch when I'm preaching, you know, okay, mm-hmm. are they okay? Uh, but um, yeah, and they would never want to have attention drawn. Like, um, they medically been checked out. Like, okay, right, well, had a n- new staff person who was. Noticed this and didn't know the story, and so, you know, is you know, I'm preaching, and she stops and says, "Is there a pastor in the house? Is there a doctor <laughs> As, in the house? A, a doc, sorry, is there a doctor in the house? Yeah, that's the story. <laughs> is there a doctor in the house? And calls nine one one, and the fire department shows up, and they come into like, I mean, it was in like, the middle
4: of worship, man, and it
0: word like it was crazy. And it's the kind of thing like in in you know ministry like uh you know you can't not acknowledge what's going on and so but I, I I step into Sunday school and I am just jacked up like I am just um and and again right so my story is harm I harm people and so you know uh, there's this class we're teaching had some videos in it and so we show this video and I leaned over to Kim, to Kim and I said hey. Man, I'm just jacked up. And she goes, "What happened?" So I tell her the story. This guy passes out, in the fire department, and you know. And she goes, "Well, what did you do? Do I didn't do anything. I didn't cause it." <laughs> and she's like, "No, no. I mean, how did you respond to it?" <laughs> so my story shows up. Like, what are you accusing me of? Like, I, I was just preaching. I didn't harm the guy. And 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 so and Kimmy. Oh no 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 no. Like, because that's a. That would be a natural reaction for me, but Kimmy knows that, and so when I respond, she knows where that comes from, and then is able to uh, to hear better, to respond in kindness, to put words on no. I, I'm not accusing you of harming anyone. Mm-hmm. I, I was actually curious: how did you respond to that? What did you do? But your response? story
2: influenced how you heard what she. Oh was my saying. goodness! Oh yeah. yeah, I thought she yeah. was
0: saying. How did I harm the guy?
4: Years ago, that would have caused a lot of oh. friction with us. Mm-hmm. And, and now we can. I can be really curious. How I can know, you know, because he knows his story in a way that now he can communicate to me and I can know his story um, and vice versa.
2: And I guess I'm just so struck, uh, you know, thinking about the gospel and, and the power of the gospel uh, tied with this work of, I, I think of it as tilling the soil the telling of our stories of, of the digging down and the loosening of the clay and the solidness to really understand what's down there and, and how important it is to do that work so that the gospel can reach the very depths of who we are. Uh, you know, I lived so many years of my life with a wall, with a secret room behind it you know, and the gospel couldn't penetrate, I wouldn't let the gospel penetrate that. Now, of course, the Lord knew all that was there. And so in his kindness, he ripped the wall down and ripped my life apart. But that's the goodness of God, right? And uh, how how important it is to, to be open to that. And it's hard, and it's scary, and it takes work, and it takes safety, someone who can walk with you Uh, someone who will be there with you when it all comes out um, so that the gospel can fully, deeply, richly uh, be applied to the very depths of who we are.
4: There's no resurrection without death first.
3: So we we like to end every podcast with the same question. Um, What words of hope would you each like to offer pastors and their families?
4: Uh, I would just say you're not alone and to find places of connection. Mm-hmm. So there's some, there's a, we've already talked about this strange unwritten unspoken rule somewhere um, that seems to shape our inner souls that uh, we can't, we can't be connected. In, and that's the very place that we need to be is connected. Mm-hmm. So um, I would say find those places of connection and you're not alone.
0: So uh, I guess what I'd add to that is um, trust the slow work of God. Like a lot of times we grow discouraged because we just don't, we're not seeing the change in ourselves or others that we want. Our God tends to move slow, but he moves. And so when you find yourself in the spots where things don't seem to be working, you seem frustrated, the, the Lord moves. He just moves slowly sometimes. And uh, uh, trust that he has you where he would have you to be.
3: Thank you so much for your generosity oh, and coming and, yeah. and your thanks vulnerability and sharing so much. Thanks for coming on Hope Renewed. It's
0: been fun. Appreciate it, guys.
4: Yeah, thank you, guys. And
2: hey, we want to thank our listeners. We encourage you to reach out to us at our website, hoperenewpodcast.com We'd love to hear your comments and interact with you there. It is our prayer that the God of hope will fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him.
1: Thank you for joining us on Hope Renewed, Please help us reach more pastors by sharing this episode with your friends. If you enjoy this podcast, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google, or Spotify, or your favorite platform for receiving podcasts. Thank you. This means the world to us. The Hope Renewed Podcast is brought to you by PIR Ministries. At PIR, we partner with God and the church in the work of pastoral renewal and restoration. Pastors, our goal is to help you cultivate new hope for healthy life and ministry. We do this by building relationships. We train both pastors and churches to promote a culture of ministry health. If you've experienced a forced exit from ministry, we provide a process of restoration for you and your family. We also have proven resources and tools to assist you in the challenges of ministry life. To contact us or to learn more about PIR, visit PIRministries.org.